Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wholehearted Healer. I am really thrilled this week to have Emily McLean, who I knew as Emily Banwell, on as a guest. Emily was a godsend for me and for my husband and for my kids right after we moved to Wisconsin in 2007. And um, to call her our sitter at that time or our nanny is undercalling what Emily was to me and to my children. Um, and so Emily, I want to say welcome. Thank you. So when I, when I think about who to invite onto this podcast, um, I'm always looking for people, right? I, I, I chose to call this podcast wholehearted healer because I really feel like each of us right now are being called to live fully into whatever it is, whatever the dreams are or the gifts are that we have to offer the world. And you kind of came through, sometimes I, I like sit in meditation and I wait to hear names for, for guests, but you were someone, I mean, I think I met you when you were what, probably 19 or 20. Yeah, probably 19, probably 19. And you were this example of, um, so many wonderful things at that age. You were, first of all, like beyond your years in wisdom, um, we had one of our kids um, had some sensory challenges and you just like saw them. You were, it's whatever parent wants is like for a teacher or for someone caring for their child to really see them, like see them for who they are fully. And uh, I saw the way you took care of animals and your friends and my kids and the friends of my kids. And, and so I just want to say thank you, first of all, for that. Yes, I loved every second of that. I still think about it all the time. Some of my favorites, <laughs> my absolute favorites. <laughs> and I wonder, like, if we can just start with um, how at 19 you came to that um, ability to you know, you were a student and you were working and you were working for us. And um, like what in your early years set you up to be such a, a caretaker with such an open heart? What do you think? That actually a hundred percent of that goes to my dad. Um, he, he modeled it in the home. He, he worked all the time. He spent more times, more minutes, hours volunteering in a week than most people do in their entire lives. Um, and he always had had what he needed last. It was always, okay, how can I help everybody else? But that filled him. Like it wasn't this need to, um, you know, check off a box. Like he really got filled up by, I have this gift of time and patience and energy. So I'm going to share it with everyone that I can. And so he modeled it. Um, he lived it. He never once told us we needed to, he never once, you know, it was never forced upon us, but I just saw like all the joy that it brought him. And then, I mean, I started 
in high school working at the homeless shelter, volunteering overnight shifts and doing all that. And he did that up until months before he passed away. He was, you know, sick with chemo, but he was still going to the homeless shelter to, to donate his time and his energy. And, um, so I think that's kind of where I realized if, if your heart's in it, you can do it. And my heart truly, everything that I do is for the good of others and the good of myself. Like, what do I need? And sometimes getting outside of my my head is what I need. I need to get away from my daily routine, my daily this, that, and the other thing, and just go be of service to someone else. And then I realize, okay, I got this. I'm actually, I'm okay. And this is okay. And look at, I was able to fill these people and they fill me too. And everything, it's like, everything goes two ways. So that's where it started. And then it just became something that I just absolutely love helping. It's just, I don't know. I can't stop. (laughs) And where did your, I mean, maybe it was natural, right? Your, your gifts with children. Um, You know, since you've worked for us, you have gone on to be a teacher. I remember doing a book drive for um, your students when you were working at the um, Blow Pier School in Northeast DC, which was a, a, charter school serving a really underserved population. And if I remember rightly, you lasted four years there where most teachers last one, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was, um, your heart had to be there or the, the environment would drive you away because it wasn't easy, but those kids had been wronged, you know, many times before. And you had to, I guess, prove to them that you were in their corner um, to no fault of their own, just because that's what they've, they've had to put on that hard shell. Um, I honestly don't know when I started I think I enjoy being with children because they are honest and the world is just new to experience with everything that they experience. And it kind of just makes you like, Oh, wow. I've become kind of, um, blind to the little things in life. And when you spend time with kids, it's like, Oh, wow, that is a really cool fake plant that you're smelling that you're telling me smells really good because you know, it's supposed to. And that's something that the current kids do. They smell every plant in the, in the store. And it makes me crazy, but I'm like, you know, there's joy in that. Like, why did I, you know, why do sometimes I get so busy to not stop and think? So I think that's part of how I got into working with children. Um, and just make, I, I feel that everyone deserves their best chance. And if I'm able to set them up for that, and that was the mind behind the book drive. I went to that room and they were, these children had no books and they couldn't read, but they couldn't read because they had no books to read with. Um, and so just finding a way to fix that was a small thing for me, but a big thing for them. Right. And Emily, you have, I, I feel like another one of your gifts is to um, be able to connect with um, children on, say, who are neuroatypical, who may be on the autistic spectrum or um, just a little bit different, right, from quote-unquote normal. And you really seemed to shine in that area. So can you, can you talk a little bit about, about connecting there? Yes. Yeah, so my big my – I guess how I do it or why I do it is 
I observe first and I see what makes them tick. What's an interest? And I keep my mouth shut because I think a lot of times we talk too much and don't listen enough or just watch enough. And so I, um, I stay quiet and I watch and I find whatever I'm like, oh, they're interested in, I don't know, a square, you know, they might have a square block. And so I lean into that and then I meet everyone, all these children where they're at and then no demands, no requests. And I try to get them to pair with me to know that I'm someone that they can trust and that um, wants to help them and support them. And then usually through just meeting them where they are, they'll open up and be willing to get interested in whatever I'm trying to help them with or get them to do, which I think is for all people. you got to see where a person ticks and how they tick and find where you fit into that equation. Absolutely. And I think that advice to listen more than we speak is really key. Yeah. Tell me about your, um, I know you've been fostering children for a number of years since 2019. Can you, can you tell us how that came about? Did that kind of emerge from your teaching career? Was that separate from that? Yes. So that, um, I think the reason I got into that was I myself was adopted. And so, um, my husband and I had this big old house and it was just us and some dogs. And one day I was like, what are we doing? Like we have, we have the space, we have the energy, we have the resources. So let's, let's look into this. And he was kind of like, Oh, wow, that sounds a little bit, not really what I am into. Um, but then he kind of opened up to it and was when we went through the classes and the trainings and he was like, this makes sense. I see now why this is something that is in your wheelhouse. And so, um, then, yeah, we started doing that and we had a foster, we had a group of four children for two years. And then we have, um, this current group we've had for, a year and some change and we're actually in the middle of adopting them. So these two will stay. Um, and then once we get everything settled, we're going to keep fostering, um, beyond that, but, um, and then see where it goes. So it kind of goes back to that. We have the resources. Why be selfish and hold on to them? Let's share the gifts that we've been given. And what has your experience been as a foster parent? A mixture of, complete joy and complete chaos. Um, the first, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, um, the, the first group we had, they were older. And so like getting them to trust and to know that our goal is not to take them away. Our goal is to be there while, um, things get sorted out for them to go back home. And, um, to tell older children that is like, they're like, yeah, right. Then why am I not, you know, Mm-hmm. at home. Why am I here? If that's not what you're trying to do. Um, so just fight, not fighting, but through, um, I guess fighting through that battle with them and, you know, just showing them through our actions and our words that that's really, truly our goal. That's our mission. And we're here for them. Um, I think my biggest bit of, um, advice I would have told myself had I known at the beginning is to, um, support the parent as much as you support the kids. Um, and just be a very honest and open middle person that is there to serve both. Cause a lot of times the parents sometimes 
get forgotten about or, you know, like feel like the, that you're trying to take their kids or whatnot. So I think the hardest part was that relationship. But then once I figured out like, come on, Emily, treat this like you would any other relationship, any other, whether it's with a, an adult or a child. And then it kind of reframed things for me and for my mind. And then um, we've been much more successful since then. And what would you say to anybody listening who like in the back of their mind, they've thought, oh, you know, we too have the space and the resources and fostering has been something that they maybe have thought about, but they're afraid to take the leap or they think they'll be overwhelmed. I mean, what advice would you give to someone? I always tell people just do it. A lot of people's um, thought process is they're going to get too attached and it's going to be hard to say goodbye, but I always tell those people, but you're an adult and you can handle those feelings. Um, and you're dealing with little kids who, whose world's been ripped out from underneath them and they need someone who cares enough that is going to be hurt when they have to say goodbye to make their safe haven for even that small bit of time that they're able to. And like, we, we still keep in touch with our other ones. They call us all the time and, you know, are like checking in on us and inviting us to things and, it can be, it doesn't have to be goodbye as long as you, and that was because we changed our, you know, our approach and we were able to support the whole family and they all felt it. And so that love and caring wrapped around to the whole family that they were able to stay in touch with us. That's so do it. Yeah. <laughs> like it really successful. Um, and since you've started all this, you have had your own biological child. Congratulations. Yeah. And what's that like being a mother after you've mothered so many children? Yeah. In life? But don't babies are scary. I can do teenagers. Babies <laughs> are scary. That's what I've learned. Um, but again, I have, you have to lean into that. Um, my husband loves babies. So thankfully there's that, but we all have our strengths and our weaknesses and we need to be acknowledged, acknowledge those. And I love her dearly. Um, she's fun. She, um, has been a really great addition for the older two to have um, kind of like this piece of the puzzle filled in. Like that's my sister. She's part of me and us. Um, so that's been really cool to watch them kind of come into their own with her as well. Um, but it's busy. Let me tell you three under five is like nonstop. <laughs> I mean, you've always made it look easy, but yes, that's a big <laughs> jump. <laughs> Um, and I think one thing that I love is you have this tapestry. I mean, you felt part of our family, right? I mean, we considered you part of our family and now you, you have, you know, you have a biological child, you're adopting two foster children. You will likely foster more children. You have this way of, um, creating family in a way that maybe it's not super traditional, you know, it may look a little different, but it is certainly no less beautiful. And can you talk about that? Yeah. So I think family is like, it's all a work of heart, you know, like the people that I don't have a large circle, but the circle that I keep is so close and we would all bend over backwards and do anything for each other. And I think that because of that, it makes family to me, everyone is kind of part of that. And 
whether you're here for a little bit or for a long bit, like you're going to get a hundred percent out of me and out of, you know, my circle. Like there's not a, a person in my circle that wouldn't give whatever they had to help anybody. Um, and especially these children, everyone loves them. Like they're their own as well. But, and I think too, um, there was a, a, a period, um, where I met my husband and my family did not agree. And so I was kind of kicked from the family for a little bit while they sorted out their emotions and their, um, beliefs and whatnot. Um, and so I kind of came to, I had a decision to make at that point. I either gave the space and allowed for healing for others and just kept it open, or I could slam a door. And um, I wanted to slam a door, but I knew that that was the easy fix and wouldn't allow anybody's heart to change or mine to grow. It would make my life easier because then I would just be like, ha, I'm away from this. I don't have to deal with it anymore. But it wouldn't help anyone after me. It would just be, well, see, this is how it's going to go. And so um, I think that was kind of the moment that redefined everything that really made me think like people are in rough spots or request space or have these big emotions sometimes for lack of understanding and lack of support, not for any other reason. And so, um, in always trying to be that, that support, um, and just knowing that in the end, um, you can hope you can change a heart and a mind and that I'm solid in who I am and I'm okay with that. And I know I'm not perfect. And I know a lot of days I make a lot of mistakes, but I'm okay to admit that and acknowledge that. And so it allows for my circle or my family to make mistakes and do those things too, without fear of coming back and not that door, not being open. So whoever wants to enter is allowed. That's really beautiful, beautifully stated, Emily. And for those who don't know your story, can you talk a little bit about you and T and why yeah. maybe your family, um, some some members of your family had issue? Yeah. So um, T is um, trans. So he was um, a female transition to male, and um, I met him went early on in all of it and that we were just kind of friends. And then, um, he shared that he was transitioning and he was very open and just was like, Hey, like, if you want out, go, you know, I'm not going to force you to go through this. And my response to that was, um, I'm in love with a person, not a pronoun or a body or anything. And, um, I didn't promise I would stay because personality changes too, but I said, I'll walk the journey with you and we'll see where we're at at the end. Um, and we're still here. So <laughs> we walked the journey. Um, and How long have you been married now. Oh, um, nine, it'll be nine years this year. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, you know, I grew up in small town, Wisconsin, like <laughs> there's just a lot of, and it's, it's, for lack of understanding, I really truly believe because everybody who's who potentially initially wrote me off has come back around and in one way or another 
apologized and said, you know, I just didn't get it. And now I see there was really nothing to get, you know, there was, there was nothing really there. Um, and I think it's, it's great. It wasn't easy. Like I was a mess. I was, you know, I felt very alone. It was when I was in DC, I was by myself and then he got stationed in Idaho. So I was really by myself, but I had a good core group of people in DC when I was there. Um, and so I think that too ties into that family piece. Everywhere I go, I I create a family. I'm like, okay, you people right here. Now we're all going to coexist together. And that's just how you need to do it sometimes because we can always learn so much from other people. If we just open our hearts and our minds and put down our opinions and our, what we thought or what we thought we thought, and then just listen for a little bit and a lot of times you realize what you thought isn't really true when you speak to someone who's walking the walk. Yeah. And I think your ability to stretch your heart and, you know, you shared so beautifully that you, know, you could have closed doors that maybe at times even felt closed with people who disagreed with you and you were, your heart was open enough that you held the possibility for them to kind of catch up or step in to your reality with you. And that by doing that, you were like a gift of grace for those people, but also somehow that it stretched your heart wide enough to now, I mean, Emily, you've always had one of the biggest hearts of anyone I've ever met, but I mean, you know, that now you're fostering children, you're still a behavioral consultant, you're working with children at schools, you're, um, you know, you're balancing um, a marriage and an infant and adopting foster kids and looking to bring in more. And so obviously um, the work you've done through all the struggle has resulted in this, what I would call or what I would see as like a whole heart. And I think it's really beautiful. Thank you. What's your dream? I mean, where, if if you could dream into the future, like for fostering or for children, or what's your dream? It's actually the same as it was. I remember talking to you about it once. I don't know where we were going somewhere is we're going to the cities for something. Okay. I remember, but um, we had talked about opening a, I had wanted to open a school or center for children um, with exceptional needs and have all their services wrapped around there. And, you know, before and after care for their um, neurotypical um, siblings. Um, So that's still, and, you know, here, I think I'm meeting my people that might be able to partner together and make that happen. Um, There's a lot of people in my current position that, that share that thought, share that, you know, we've got to do something. We've got to make things easier. And these are two foster babies. They, they have so many wraparound services that I was like, I could really benefit from the thing that I wanted to create. And that kind of brought it back yeah. into my mind. It kind of, you know, it kind of slipped. I was, I was great doing what I was doing. And I was like, that would be so good if I could just find a place for them to go, that they could get all these needs met without fear of the dreaded phone call when there's an issue. And um, so that's, that's still my big picture. So hopefully one day, one day. Well, let's support that. All those listening support that dream of Emily's because that would that would benefit like the ripple effect of a of a center like that would benefit so many people. Um, and I can't think of anyone better to start it up than you. Um, 
you've grown up so much, Emily, since you were <laughs> since you were with our family back in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And I um, I know um, I know you were very very tight with your father, and he was such an amazing man. And um, you have he passed. When did he pass? How long ago? Uh, it was a year in August. So it was August twenty. 20. Yes. The COVID year. The COVID year. Time kind of is stretching and feels sort of hard to pin down, maybe uh, more so than usual. But can you talk about that a little bit and, and grief and how grief in the heart, like where yes. you've seen him, what, what you've noticed? Yes. Um, he just, he did it right. He did it right. He had the tough discussions. Um, he he prepared us. Um, I forced myself to participate in the tough discussions because it's always easier to avoid them. Um, I was angry for a long time because they're in Wisconsin and I'm in Virginia and it was COVID and I couldn't just hop on a plane and get there every week. I couldn't um, drive there necessarily unless I was going to spend a week there, but I was working and we had at the time we had the the group of four foster children. And so just the logistics of it was, it was just not the perfect, I mean, there's never a good time, but you know, it just was, it was, could, it couldn't have been a worse time. Like yep. it couldn't have been more difficult for me to, to be able to be there. But, um, I was able to get there, um, a couple of times. He actually, he went into remission at one point. I don't even remember. He probably had cancer for four years is right after he retired. Um, and then he kind of, he went into remission at one point and then it came back just tenfold and, um, a couple trial things. And, but his big thing was there's no point to live. If I'm sitting in a bed, I'm no good to anyone. I'm no good to myself. I'm no good to, to you guys. Um, he's no good to all the millions of things he volunteered for. And so he made it very clear that once his body was exhausted, he was okay with that. And we needed to be okay with that. And we needed to, um, you know, do what we needed to do, but he didn't want anything drastic. Um, and so he was put on hospice um, and he did it from home. He's, he was able to be home the whole time. So we didn't have to you know, go into a center and um, he I don't even know how long it was, but it, it, I was there on a, I took a week, the end of July. And I, I brought the two younger kids with me and we went there for a week and I worked from there and he had a list of all of the, um, projects he wanted to get done, um, which he couldn't do. And so he asked if I could come and get them all done for my mom. And so I knew at that point that he knew that it was, it was getting down there. And, um, I didn't want to finish the last one because I knew mm-hmm. what it meant. And, um, but I did it cause it was more important to him that my mom was okay. So I did the last one and it was the day before we had to leave. And he said to my mom, when we were leaving, that's the last time I'm going to see her. And so I bought a plane ticket back for like the next weekend, but I got the call the first day of my new job <laughs> that I needed to get on a plane and get back there. Cause of course nothing's simple. And so I walk into my job 
And I'm like with my boss and I said, Hey, I got to go. I just got a call that I need to get on a plane like now. And so I got on it and I made it home. Um, my village, I don't know. Do you remember Nick, my best friend, one of my best friends, he, I called him and by the time I got to the airport, he already had like a ticket ready. Like I couldn't think straight. He already had like everything, you know, figured out for me. I just had to show up. Um, and so, and then another friend came and picked me up from the airport and I was able to get there just in time. And, um, and so I was able to see him and he woke up and he said, Oh, Emily, you're here. And then, um, went back into his deep sleep. And then it was the next evening, um, that he passed away peacefully and so peacefully. And it was so him, he waited for everybody to leave the room and I went back in there to check on him. And I was like, Oh no, this is, so I called everybody in and we opened the window and the birds were chirping outside and it was just, it was beautiful. And for something that could be so not beautiful, it really was truly what he imagined. He was only in the bed for maybe 48 hours. He was up walking up until then. And he made sure because he told us get a night nurse. It'll only be a couple days when he was coherent. And we were like, no, no, no. And he was like, "Mm -hmm." and so but the grief, um, it, it gets you when you least expect it. Like I'll see a bluebird and I'll start crying. Cause my dad liked birds, you know, like, and I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, and there's a voicemail October 1st, um, that he left me. That was, it was the day I was quitting a job because I just, my, my heart didn't align with what I was doing. And I forced myself to go there and it was, it was a school position and I wanted to tough it out for the kids but I'd called him and I said, dad, I, I don't think I can do this, but I, I can't not have a job. I have four children at the house and we have a mortgage and we have, you know, bills to pay. And, um, he missed the call. And so I left a message and I'm so glad because the message that he left me was like, it'll always be okay. I'm proud of you. You know what you're doing. It will always be okay. And so I listen to it all the time. Yeah. And he's not wrong. It'll always be okay. And that was what I needed to hear because I walked away from the job and I did something else temporarily that I enjoyed. I didn't love it, but my heart was in it. It wasn't going against what I firmly believed and, you know, made a lot less money, but I didn't care because I was, it was enough to make ends meet. And then, you know, that opportunity lent itself to my current position and, um, it all is okay. And he was right. So, um, I was lucky that I had the time and the time to prepare. Um, I never would have said that before because it was very, you know, I was frustrated and angry and just Mm -hmm. why him? Like he's such a do-gooder. Like what, why did he not get a chance to live outside of his retirement? You know, like why, why did he not get that? But um, in retrospect, I'm so lucky because I got to hear what he wanted us to do, how he wanted us to deal with it. And to this day, his big thing was every year he'd send an email on his birthday and on Christmas. I need of nothing. Please donate some, to somewhere in my honor. And so I continue. Here the dogs. I continue to do that um, every chance I can. But yeah, that's that's that. <laughs> well, well, Emily, I um, my heart is full. I'm I'm so proud of you. I mean, I was so. Jim and I were talking last night because I knew I was going to do this interview. And um, I remember moving to Eau Claire and, um, you know, I was always a little conflicted going to work when I had babies. You knew that. And I never thought I was going to, you know, be able to find someone in in that 
small city that would make my heart feel okay, you know, going and doing a big job. And um, we still feel so gifted that you, um, that you showed up, you were like an angel for us. And my, my older three kids um, still talk about you. James was such a little baby when um, Emily also really made it possible when, when James was in the hospital in the NICU for the first, I don't know, six or eight weeks of his life. Emily, of course, just kept our home about two hours away um, going. And so uh, it's no surprise to me that your life has just unfolded in this beautiful, kaleidoscopic, open-hearted um, like I really see you as someone who is walking the walk and living a life of service and beauty. And I want to thank you. And I know that your story will inspire people in ways, you know, if not to foster children, to do something, to get out there and be of service and get outside of themselves and judge a little less and open their hearts a little bit more. And um, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. All right.